UMass had a home-and-home -home series with Merrimack and got the job done in Game 1, but folded in Game 2. We're breaking down all the action from the weekend and trying to figure out where we're at with this team right now. So let's go. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 106 of High Character. UMass had a home-and-home -home series with Merrimack this weekend, the first one of those in a while. Uh, and I'd, I'd have to say it was a bit disappointing. They won the first game 4-3, to three, uh, a real thriller of a game, happy to get out of there with a win, uh, and then just lay an egg at Merrimack. They lose 4-1. to one. The, uh, the streak of one-goal games against Merrimack is over. Um, just did not look great in all facets of the game, so... Three points out of six on the weekend. Uh, we were definitely hoping for much better. My name is Cameron, and once again, I am joined by my good friend, friend Evan. Evan, how you feeling, man? <sighs> I feel conflicted, Cameron, as as I always tend to do when it comes to weekend splits like this. But I mean, I'm definitely I'm I'm interested to kind of hear what your thoughts are. You know what I mean? I feel like we'll probably agree at some points. We might disagree at some points, but yeah, I feel I feel weird. Like you know. It makes me feel a little better, you know, seeing, I think it was on the the UMass hockey, like, end of game post after the second game. Like, I think that was their first regulation loss since, like, November, like, 11th or something like that. It's been a while. It's been a while. But, like, I don't know. It just, it doesn't jive right with me. I feel like the the vibes are a bit worse than I feel like our, our record would lead us to kind of want to feel, if that makes any sense. Like, I don't know. It's just I'm feeling a bit weird right now, but I think once we kind of talk it through a little bit, I think the viewers will definitely uh, understand what I mean a little bit better. Yeah, and it's uh, it is it is a weird feeling. It, it, you kind of hope that Saturday's game was an anomaly. Um, it, we'll we'll get to it. There were there were some weird quotes after the game and stuff like that that we don't totally agree with, but uh, in due time we'll we'll get to all of that. The first game, obviously the big headline was Michael Hrabble coming back. He's been sorely missed for the last few games playing at World Juniors. He's finally back. Um, a guy that is also sorely missed, Samuli Ninasari, he is not back yet again. Yeah. Uh, we're hoping next weekend against Northeastern he will finally get back out there, but um, he's a big defensive presence, not out there again. So Michael Hrabble, obviously the big shakeup on, on the line chart here and the rest um, – Seems pretty pretty normal from what we've seen. Not a lot of not a lot of changes there. Yeah, Harabel is definitely a welcome, you know, re-addition to the lineup. You know, we got we got Don's back into the fold as well, which is obviously gonna be, you know, that's that's obviously a great look as well. But I mean, we really freaking need Ninasari back, I think. I think that's kind of the the one big thing that I've noticed. Like we've been on a big slump, and who's been kind of the, the common denominator throughout that entire, you know, slump? It's the fact that he's been out of the lineup. Um, hopefully, you know, like you said, he'll be back next week. It seems like things are kind of trending in that way from, you know, just kind of, you know, he's been out for about a month now. I mean, I feel like if there was any sort of worse injury going on, I feel like somebody might have said something at this point, like, you know, you know like Carvey or something like after a game. So hoping that he'll be back for next week. That'll definitely be a, a welcome readdition for sure. It was, and uh, we start we start this first game here Friday night at Mullins. Um, I think in the first period as a whole, Merrimack had the shot advantage, 11-7. Yep. It really didn't feel like that. Um, I thought UMass 
played pretty well. They were doing a good job kind of skating around, especially in their own uh, offensive zone. And it took a while into the first period, but 14 minutes in, uh, we see Idar Suniev looking like a madman skating around the zone. Uh, he passes it off to Owen Murray, who finds Jack Musa on the doorstep with one of the prettier goals we've seen this season. Musa had genuinely a puck size space to shoot his one-timer from, and he somehow found it uh, between the goalie and the post to make it one nothing. And uh, we were we were awestruck after that one. It was a crazy goal by Musa. Yeah, I mean, I feel like just kind of everything leading up to this goal was kind of what UMass can kind of do correctly, I guess, if that kind of makes sense, like when everything's kind of going their way. We're we're a big, you know, zone time type of team. We're not going to, you know, thrill you off the rush or do anything like that. But once we kind of get set up and we get, you know, the cycle going in the offensive zone, good plays are going to happen. Musa is filthy when it comes to this type of thing, whether he's out the net front or if he's, you know, around the faceoff dots. He's going to be able to finish his one-timers, and that's what he did. Shouts out to Owen Murray on this play. He got the primary assist. It was a great find by him. Um, I don't think this is the first time that we're going to be talking about him this episode, but I just wanted to preface, I think he had a really, really solid weekend on the whole. Um, he's He's been picking up his play quite a bit, especially considering the fact that he came into this weekend, I think both games as the extra D-man, he wasn't even a part of like the original you know, three defensive pairings. So for him to come up with, what will end up being a goal in the uh, the second game as well, and an assist right here. That's absolutely huge. But yeah, amazingly well worked goal from everybody involved here, and we were kind of buzzing at this point. You know what I mean? A lot of energy, you know, in the offensive zone here. So to get that goal was was definitely big. Yeah, it was a really refreshing. Period. If I'm being honest, we had a couple of nice saves from Michael Rabble. Uh, the boys were buzzing in in Merrimack zone. So end the first period, one nothing, feeling real good. Um, it, it didn't last. Too long after that, 55 seconds into the second period, uh, kind of against the the grain of play, we see Merrimack with the puck. They they wrap around the goal. Um, Michael Hrabble makes a great, like unbelievable uh, diving save with his stick. At least we thought. Um, they they take a look at this goal and and our non goal, and they find that the puck actually pot- crossed the goal line before Michael Hrabble got a stick on it. So an unbelievable effort from him. But Merrimack makes it one one to one really soon into the second period. Yeah, and that's just that type of kind of like you know quick second period start that I feel like people who have watched games against Merrimack might expect. You know what I mean? Merrimack, to their credit, is a very well coached team. Scott Borick does his thing. Like he's probably you know the guy that I probably give the most praise to when it comes to coaches, at least like from, you know, obviously besides Carvey, you know what I mean? I feel like that's a pretty easy preface to have, but um, he, I just feel like, you know, every time that we play against Merrimack, it's always a super close game. I mean, the stats obviously back that up. I think it was nine out of the last 10 meetings besides obviously this past Saturday have all been like one goal games, you know what I mean? Like that's just the type of game that they play. They're always suffocating defensively. You know, it's much more the case when we play them, at Lawler rather than at Merrimack, I feel like, or huh, at Mullins, I, I, I meant, but um, like at Mullins, the games tend to be a lot more kind of free flowing. There's a lot more offense on both ends. When you go to play at Lawler, man, you're fighting for every single goal. And it's, it's usually going to be a game that ends like two to one, you know, three to two, usually fairly low scoring, but this one at Mullins, you know, it, it was definitely a more free flowing offensive game for sure. It was in uh UMass uh, took a little bit to answer, but they do answer six minutes later. Uh, really great individual effort by Cam O'Neill, skating the puck all around the Merrimack defensive zone. Um, 
just just looking great, confident with the puck. Uh, after a little while, he's able to find an open Ryan Lawton back on the doorstep and makes it two to one. Really impressive play. Uh, by Cam O'Neill. The whole team was pointing at him right after Lattenbeck put it in. So good to see him with that individual effort there. No, that was huge. I was I was a pretty big fan of the fourth line uh, in Friday's game. Like him, uh, Vanderboys and Van Tassel have been doing their thing on the fourth line, providing a lot of energy. Maybe not, you know, the most skill at times. You know, they, they're kind of more of like a grind you down, you know, get the puck down low. But they've shown a lot more skill recently. And this is a perfect example, like crazy good hustle from Cam O'Neill, but just kind of the vision and the overall awareness to know that Loudy was there and just dish it off to him for an easy tap in. Great, great play. You know, that's how you're going to score goals against Merrimack because usually they're very disciplined and they're very smart with the puck. These are the types of chances that we had to capitalize on and really, really well work goal. It wasn't. Uh, so was the third one for UMass. Yeah. Not four minutes later. Um, another great individual effort from Lyndon Alger, of all people. Um, he does a little toe drag around a defender. We didn't know he had that in his bag. Um, he dumps it off to Donzel Schmelis again right on the doorstep for another pretty easy goal, and UMass was absolutely buzzing at this point, made it 3-1. to one. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the, uh, the the highlight reel play here was clearly from Alger. You know what I mean? Crazy little toe drag, dish off to the opposite post, essentially, for I wouldn't say a tap in from Don's, but you know, it was a pretty easy one T grant, you know, in the grand scheme of things. Had most of the net to shoot at. Borgiel couldn't, you know, get there and save him. So really, really great goal there. I think Suni have got the secondary assist. I don't even really remember what he did there to kind of give it to Alger, but he ended up, you know, I feel like this might not have been the the craziest secondary assist of all time, but Suniev was buzzing all night, really, really quick around the offensive zone and just constantly making plays and trying to set people up. So Definitely, uh, you're figuring, you know, if you're up 3-1, you're in the driver's seat right here. And we were we were kind of smiling, you know, we were, we were feeling pretty good at this point. Yeah, and it's it's kind of a, a situation that we've had this entire season in a lot yeah. of games. Yeah. Um, get out to a two-goal lead, feeling really good. Um, but UMass, for some reason, this team just can't figure out a way to put their, their foot on the other team's throat and kind of just build that lead or, or hold a big lead. Um, just a few minutes later... We see Taylor McCarr. Stop me if you've heard that one before. Um, we thought um, this penalty from him uh, three minutes after Donzel Schmelis' goal looked really bad from the crowd. Um, watching a few replays of it, I still think it looks pretty bad. Um, boarding call uh, when the puck was in the air. Taylor wasn't even like trying to play the puck. Uh, the entire team disagreed with the call. You and I from the crowd thought it was the right call at the time. Yeah. Um, and and as it normally happens on the um, on Taylor's penalties, unfortunately, um, Merrimack is able to answer back. They uh, UMass is able to clear the puck. They make a really nice play. I think it was Alex Jeffrey spinning in his own defensive zone uh, to find an open guy on the blue line. They skate in on the two-on-one. Uh, and Bookman, he, he looks like he tries to pass it. It actually deflects off of Coast Stick. And then through Rabble's five hole, I, I think they credited the wrong guy on the score sheet here after watching it. But um, yeah, really unfortunate penalty to take, and again, really unfortunate to give up a goal on the penalty kill. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna focus, I think, more on the penalty. You know, on this one, just because it was so freaking egregious to me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think the thing that kind of, in my mind, gives it away is it being a really bad penalty was was Taylor's reaction. He. I don't even know if you touched upon this, Cameron. I, I no. zoned out for a sec, but like he was so upset after the goal, like he was stomping into the into the penalty box. He basically like almost punched like the door 
leading like out of the penalty box. And I think he almost hurt like the assistant that was inside. Mm-hmm. Like literally was like basically up in his face and almost like cross checked the guy with a stick. That's how mad he was. And like, I don't know if that's him being upset with himself or at the refs or what, but like, it's just another case of you got to keep your freaking emotions in check. You know what I mean? Like I wouldn't have been shocked if that was an extra two minutes for whatever. I don't even know what you could call that penalty. It was like descent or like, you know, unsportsmanlike conduct or something like that. But like, that was really freaking towing the line in my opinion on just like how to kind of conduct yourself after giving away a penalty like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for it to culminate in a power play goal, just kind of the icing on top in my opinion. You know what I mean? I feel like if there was a stat for like most often that a person going to the penalty box led to a power play goal, I know that makes absolutely no sense for like an advanced metric, but I think Taylor McCarr would lead that. I think the like the most most of the penalty kill, you know, or power play goals against us have been because of one of his penalties, I feel like. Just based off the eye test alone, I have no empirical evidence to back this up whatsoever. But that's that's definitely what I've noticed in my head. And I don't know if you've noticed noticed that too, or you know, what your kind of thoughts are. Yeah, it does definitely feel like that. Um it's really unfortunate. It's probably just his penalties have been so amplified lately as well that um when it when a goal comes after it, it just makes the situation situation even worse. And yeah, like you said about the kind of temper tantrum going to the penalty box, slamming the door. Uh, I really hated seeing that. He he very nearly hurt the person that was opening yeah. the door for him. Somebody who was just trying to do their job who shouldn't be in the line of danger at all. Um, so I I really didn't like to see that, and that has no place on this team or in the game at all. So um, not a fan of that. Uh, it obviously ended in the goal. And that was the end of the period. Uh, two goals for each team in this period. A lot of action both ways. Uh, we moved to the third. Pretty UMass goes to the power play pretty soon after the third period starts. And they honestly look pretty clinical on this power play. We see Idar Suniev with the puck. Uh, sets up Ryan Ufko for a one-time piss missile from the blue yep. line. Um, one of the cleaner piss missiles we've seen so far this season. And UMass is up 4-2 to two just at the start of the third. You know how much I love having this type of segment, so I'm going to even reiterate it for you. That was an absolute piss missile, and it felt absolutely amazing to see. Like, me and you, we were going ballistic, you know what I mean? Like, in the in the stands, like, that was probably the definition of, like, an electric goal, you know what I mean? Like, little nervous there, only up by one goal, especially after, you know, all the stuff in the second period. And then to retake that two-goal lead was just absolutely huge. And the way that it happened, you know, we – it felt like at that point we we kind of you know we were getting some good zone time we were kind of building up to it you just figured at some point we had to break through once again you know what i mean and it finally happened great work from ufco you know on that specific play because i just feel like his shot has developed so much at umass like he was decent enough at you know like shooting like slap shots and nice wristers and stuff like that but i feel like you know that's been one part of his game that at least to me, has improved a ton over his past couple of years at UMass. I don't know if there's anything else that, you know, you can kind of think of that kind of has improved exponentially, but I feel like that's probably one of the main things. I think defensively, he's probably looked a lot better too, but we definitely saw the the shooting improvement on this play for sure. Yeah, definitely seen improvements there and on the defensive side of things. I'll talk about it now because I don't know exactly yeah. when in the game it happened, but uh, at one point he made a, a scorpion kick block um the puck I think it was went, in like the last minute. Yeah, it, it was later in the game. Um, yeah. The puck went up into the netting, and he uh, got a big, big ovation from his guys on the ice. I don't think 
a lot of people in the stands really recognize what happened, but the guys mm-hmm. sure did on the ice. They all surrounded him and, and picked him up. It was a real, real good moment. So yeah, I, I'd say his game has definitely improved on both sides of the puck. It's been, it's been really fun to watch for sure. And then, uh, yeah. So again, UMass, they go up to, um, another situation where they could really ice this game, make it kind of, um, an easy end of the third here if they wanted to, but, um, that's just not how this season's been going about halfway through the third, um, kind of inauspicious. It doesn't seem like it's a, a high quality look or anything like that. Alex Jeffries for Merrimack skates the puck in, goes pretty much all the way to the goal line and just fires a shot in uh, at a really bad angle on Rabble. Rabble just looks like he's not ready for it. Um, doesn't really react. Uh, he's able to put it in short side. Nice shot, but um, a spot where Rabble really should be hugging the post and not even um, allow it. I, I would hope that this puck gets saved 10 times out of 10, but yeah. um, they give it up. It's four to three and another nail biter of a game for UMass going down the stretch. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's something that I've noticed because can correct me if I'm wrong. Was that glove side that it went in or was that blocker? It, it was glove side. Yeah. That, so that just kind of reinforces in my mind, something that I've noticed over Rabble, I'd say over the past month or so his glove side has regressed a little bit. I feel like over the course of the season, like, you know, we're going to talk about it in the, in the next game as well. He let in a pretty big softie over his glove in the second game. He let in this one glove side as well. I don't know how many of our viewers were paying attention to the World Juniors this year, but I think in a couple of like the quote-unquote group stage games, and then I think in the game, might have been against Canada, I don't necessarily remember, but he had a couple of just absolute bloopers from his glove side. Like it would, it would touch his glove and it would kind of just flip over him and then into the net, kind of similar to what happened to him a lot in the Vermont series, just pucks trickling in. I've noticed his glove side has looked pretty weak recently. I don't know if he's tweaked something with his game and he's trying to, you know, readjust or something like that. But I, I mean, I'm hoping that no other coaches are kind of listening to this because I don't want them to, to hear about that or anything. But it's definitely something that I've noticed. His glove side has been a little bit suspect as of late. Yeah, I think it's definitely been noticeable and we'll we'll talk about it a little more in the second game. But uh, yeah, that made it a four to three game halfway through the third and UMass really had to grind the rest of this one out. Um, I think they did a pretty good job. Like we said, the, the UFCO block was absolutely massive. Uh, Merrimack actually pulled the goalie pretty early. I think it was two minutes and 40 seconds left in this game and UMass able to get the job done defensively. They get a four to three regulation win, finally getting in the win column, um, getting those three points. I would say pretty confidently, from the eye test, UMass was the better team in this game. Um, I'm, I'm a little disappointed about the the needing to make it a close game. Um, not like I just thought they were so much better of a team. It didn't have to be as close as it was or as much of a nail-biter as it was. But uh, obviously still great to get a win here in, in game one. Yeah, I think I think the, the best way I would describe this game was, I'd say opportunistic from our offense. I think we were pretty clinical with our chances. Mm-hmm. We realistically didn't have like a crazy amount of like clear cut scoring chances, but the ones that we did have, I'd say that we, you know, we finished off very handily. Like we didn't have any like big misses or crazy, you know, like post stringers or anything like that. I felt like, you know, the shots that went in were the ones that deserved to go in. Um, You know, I guess barring the Musa shot, that was just a thing of beauty. You know what I mean? Like that was like wicked tight angle, but he managed to get it anyway. The other ones, you know, they, they made sense. There was a fair bit of net to shoot at, and, you know, they were they were good goals. But I guess, if anything, Jack Muses was even better because of how difficult it was. But I think you get my point. You know, some of them 
weren't as easy as others, but we made them all count at the end of the day. Yeah, offensively clicking. Um, it didn't seem like there were as many defensive mistakes. Um, I thought their goals outside of the uh, the bad angle shot were well-deserved goals. Um, so I, I liked what I saw. Um, Carvey liked what he saw as well. I have a quote here from him. He said, we needed a regulation win, and it wasn't easy. It never is against Merrimack, but solid win. I didn't like our start, but once we got going, I liked our game. It was good to go into the third with a lead and to try to put the game away, and we did. It wasn't exactly as we'd hoped, but it was good. The power play scored a big goal, and it's great when your best players on the ice are freshmen. So yep. uh, Carvey kind of has the same sentiment. Uh, Could have been better, but obviously really nice to get off the, the skate and to get a nice win. And, yeah, what he said about freshmen being the best guys on the ice, definitely true. Um, Jack Musa. Uh, with the absolute snipe of a goal. Huge. Idar Suniev was all over the place. He had three, three assists in this game. Donzlich Mellis had a goal. So um, those three guys, um, and obviously Michael Rabble being back in that um, freshman cross is pretty special right now. Yeah, I mean, the only other thing that I would add, I mean, that you very briefly touched on it, but I mean, just the thing I would like to reiterate is Rabble, I think, did himself, you know, besides that, you know, one kind of softy, he did himself really proud in that game. You know, we had a couple of, you know, a couple of turnovers that were definitely dicey. I think one of them basically led to like a, I guess like a short range breakaway, if that makes sense. Like, you know, it was only for basically like the length of the offensive zone, but he was in all alone on Rabble and Rabble, I'm pretty sure snuffed him out with the pad, you know, really, really big play there. We weren't really getting that out of our other tendy at the time. So he made some really, really big saves that, you know, kind of helped keep us in the game. You know, I don't think he necessarily won us the game, I think our offense did and how opportunistic we were in the offensive zone, but he did his job and, you know, he kept us in the game, you know, and we, we gave him the the goal support needed to win. So I definitely think that, uh, you know, we didn't really talk about it that much, but I think Rabble overall did have a good game barring that, that one kind of softy that he let in. Yeah, I, I definitely agree there. And then one other thing I'd want to say, um, just because I, I want to be completely fair. I thought the refs had a, had a very good game. For for hockey East refs, yeah, there was one there was one moment that um uh they they called an icing where it wasn't supposed to be an icing. Yep. wasn't exactly yep. sure what was happening there, but the penalties uh, I was in full agreement with. So um definitely a, a much better game than I've used to been seeing from them. So good job there. Got to give credit where credit's due. The only thing, and I feel like we have to talk about him almost every time he refs, but the Briganti show was in full effect. I don't oh, think yeah. there's any way of getting around that, but. I think if I feel like if there's gonna be like one like reoccurring joke on this show, it's gonna be the classic like we we need to buy like a Briganti like ref jersey at the end. Like like once we're done like doing high character, I'm gonna get a Briganti jersey and just hang it up on my wall, like frame it because <laughs> that's who I come to see at all these games. I'm not here to watch UMass hockey. I'm here to see Nick Briganti dropping the puck or not only, dropping only, the only puck. when he wants to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's why I'm there. The anticipation is what brings me to Mullen Center every weekend. And so I can see him drop the puck, or maybe not. Who knows? It's a mystery. But, yeah, besides that, yeah, I I, I will agree with you. It was a it was a well-officiated game for sure. Yeah, and uh, after the game, we got the chance to do the post-game skate, catch up with some of the guys um, on the ice. That's always fun. So um, great night at Mullen's. First time back there in over a month, uh, and obviously great to get a win. But we go into game two, really hoping for the sweep. We talked about it last weekend, how um, four, four, five, six points, that's going to be like the minimum of what's going to make us happy this weekend. Um, and, and as as always, it's it's difficult going into Lawler and playing and, and trying to get a win. But uh, we had confidence after that first game. 
Line stayed exactly the same, if I'm looking at this correctly. Again, Michael Ravel and Net. Yeah. So um, absolutely no changes there from uh, Coach Carvey. And do you, you agree with that, not changing the lineup at all from, from the first game? Yeah, I mean, because realistically, right? Like, what, what, what changes would I really even expect? You know, yeah. off of a, off of a pretty com. I mean, I wouldn't say a comfortable win, but a solid, fairly well deserved win. I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It's not like you're changing out the tendy. It's not like, you know, I feel like the top line, barring Lautenbach, didn't really do the most. Same thing with kind of the second line. It, it was really the the freshman line that was, you know, kind of kicking it all off, like Lushmelis. Suniev, Musa, and Rabble were basically if we had a four a four stars of the game, it'd probably be going to them. They yeah. they were really kind of, you know, doing their thing. So I mean, you definitely don't want to break that up for sure. But I, I I do wish that, you know, and I think we ended up seeing it during this game. There was a bit of line shuffling in the middle of the game. Um yeah. obviously we'll, you know, we'll get to that when it happened. I think it was in the second period that we started mixing around the lines a little bit. But um yeah, I mean, obviously going into the game no surprises that we didn't mix anything up up until that point. Yep. And uh, Lawler Arena, we were in attendance for this one. And it's, uh, if you haven't been in a while, it's probably worth checking out. They made some pretty decent renovations to the place. Yeah. Um, looks a lot better than it has in years past. So good on them for um, giving the place a little bit of a facelift. That was good to see. We we get into this game. Um, spoiler alert, no scoring in the first. Um, if you look at the, the stats, Merrimack doubled up UMass basically on shots in this period, but it didn't exactly feel like it. Um, I think in terms of chance, scoring chances, this period seemed pretty even, all things considered. Um, and the notable thing that happened in this period, uh, Taylor McCarr blocked a shot um, with his wrist, a, yep. a big slap shot, blocked it with his wrist. Um, he was in a lot of pain. We were kind of right behind the bench, so we saw what was going down. He had a big old knot on his wrist, um, hoping he's all right there. But he he did stay in this game. Um, there was some line shuffling here and there, but uh, – um, a good block from him, and got it. Got to hope he's all right for the future. That looked pretty nasty. Seeing that, yeah, I, I'm definitely hoping he's okay. You know what I mean? Like that. That would, you know, as much as you know, we talk about like the intricacies of his game and some of the things that he doesn't get right. He is still, you know, he he brings a lot to the table. You know what I mean? So we definitely want him to, you know, be all all good to go for for this weekend. But um, the only thing I'd like to add from the first period, we were like we almost had like two quick goals at the very start. I think Loudenbach had himself a nice, like a nice opportunity, but a minute into the game, I remember me Breakaway. and you, yeah, we, we looked at each other and cause a little, little, little known fact for, for people, Cam likes to always basically say that Loudenbach's going to score in the first minute of the game. That's always like his bold prediction whenever we do like score predictions before the games. And I think this is the one time that you didn't actually predict it. Yeah. <laughs> and it almost happened, which I thought was absolutely hilarious. It would have been a really, really good time to kind of laugh in your face, but also celebrate <laughs> when it happened. That'd be awesome. But, uh, and I think barring that literally like a minute after, you know, Loudenbach's chance, I think we got a post ringer, like far post. I think it was like yep. either Taylor or somebody. I want to say it was Taylor. Um, I think he was coming in along the right-hand side, like along the right wing, and then he just tried to shoot one far post and completely caught uh, Olas, who is actually the new ten the new goalie for this game. It was uh, Zach Borgiel last game, but now they have Hugo Olas and, and uh, completely just kind of caught him off guard. So we almost had two quick goals to start the game off. And, you know, unfortunately – we ended up going, you know, through the through the whole period zero zero. So it is. Yeah, what it I think is. Merrimack had a loud post ringer themselves in this first yeah. period as well. So um, yeah. some good high quality chances for both teams. It seemed pretty even up until this point. 
Uh, and then we go to the second, and, and things just went downhill for UMass. Mm-hmm. Um, minute 30 in, just a really bad breakdown by a few guys. Um, Connors has the puck in the defensive zone. He has a couple D-men back behind the net. He weirdly skates the puck right in front of Rabble and then just straight up passes it to Merrimack. Um, if you go watch this highlight, it's very weird. I'm not sure the thought process there. But uh, UMass kind of scrambling after that happens. Um, Connors actually gets his helmet stuck with another player, so he gets pulled out of the play. Um, Ufko caught an absolute no man's land. He doesn't uh, He doesn't watch the back door at all. And uh, Ty Denault is able to slip right in on Rabble and, and put one over his shoulder, I believe, to make it one nothing. So big-time defensive breakdown in all aspects. Yeah, and the only thing, I mean, I will give Merrimack credit because if I'm remembering this goal correctly, it was a really, really good receive from Deneau. Like, he basically had to get it, like, on his backhand, like, one-handed, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like, it was a very, very difficult pass for him to corral, and he made a very quick move to put it onto his forehand to flip it over Harable. Fair play, you know what I mean? Like, that's a really damn skillful goal, but in the same vein, UMass needs to do better. You know what I mean? Like, we need to play better defense. You... You just you can't let defensive breakdowns in your own zone happen like that. And fair play to Merrimack, they punished us. You know what I mean? But we were kind of hoping at that point, boys, let's wake up a little bit. You know what I mean? Let's get it, let's get a quick answer and then we'll be we'll be back in it because every single game that we play against these guys is basically always a one cold game anyway. So we thought we could get a quick uh a quick little bounce back. Yep, and, and Merrimack does it again. Four minutes yeah. later, um there's a face off in the UMass defensive zone. Merrimack wins it. Um immediately a, a shot from the point uh basically like where the blue line meets the boards like as far away from the goal as you can be while being in the zone um liam dennison shoots it on net really high mark hillier uh he tips it really nice tip from him uh goes off of his stick and then down through gravel's five hole but it looked really high it looked like his yeah. stick was definitely above the crossbar they uh even um Hillier, you, they zoom in on him after he scores. He doesn't even sell it. He just kind of shrugs like he knows that one's going to be called off after review. The refs review it um, for a high stick, and they come out and they say it's a good goal. We looked at a bunch of replays. Um, it definitely looks like his stick is above the crossbar and, and by pretty good margin. Uh, really shocked that that one didn't get called back, but all of a sudden, in a matter of four minutes, it's, it's 2 nothing Merrimack. Yeah, I don't know. The only thing that I can think of is that it was like a kind of a weird camera angle. And I guess like, you know, depending on what angle they were looking at and you know, with how far away the guy who was tipping it was like from the net, I guess they could call it inconclusive because the original call was a good goal. I don't know if they could find quote unquote definitive proof. You know what I mean? I'm trying to play devil's advocate here. Mm -hmm. I watched the goal. You watched it. When we were watching it live, my immediate thought was that looked really freaking high. So, like, I wasn't that nervous about it. And it took, you know, Carby's crew. I'm pretty sure I saw Tommy Upton on the bench, like, holding his ear, basically. I think he was talking to either Trachtenberg or Masslers. I forget who was, you know, running the the camera show at that time. But um, they were basically talking to each other, and they finally went to the review. And, yeah, I don't know what the refs were looking at, but I, I'm willing to agree with you. I, I think that was a bit high. I don't know. We might have another viral video on our hands after the Vermont one that we posted a while ago. That's up to like 13,000 likes now. So who knows what we're going to get on this one if we decide to post something. That'd be pretty funny. 
Yeah, I don't think I want to post it. I just I don't want to seem like I'm coming. We're coming off as just constantly complaining about the rest. Yeah, of course. Just, if if you can go back and watch that one for yourself, it doesn't look yeah. great. The optics aren't great on that one. But um, UMass is able to answer pretty quickly. Less than three minutes later, they win a face off in Merrimack zone. Uh, they're kind of tossing the puck around around the boards. Um, Owen Murray ends up with it near uh, above the face off circle a little bit. He kind of just spins and tosses one on net and somehow it gets all the way through. Um, nice job from him right there to find the, the soft spot in the defense. And uh, UMass, with a good answer, makes it 2-1 to one here. Yeah, and I mean, it wasn't really the uh, the quote-unquote sexiest goal of all time, you know, but you got to get pucks on net. You got to put them in that danger area in front. I don't know if it went cleanly in or if it took a deflection, but I'm pretty sure it went like top corner. Um, I just know that the angle was a bit suspect, I think, when he took it. Um, I know there were some bodies around. The goalie might have got screened. I'm not 100% sure. But it went in. They all count. Um, I don't remember when uh, the specific play happened that I'm going to refer to. But I know at one point, I believe in the second period, we had a wide open scoring chance. Like perfect, you know, cross crease pass to essentially a wide open net. I want to say it was either like Musa or like Loschmelis or somebody. It was Los yeah. Yeah. And Hugo Olas. Fair play to him. He gets his, you know, I think it was his glove across to try and like at least block the shot. I don't think he gloved it, but I think he got like enough of his arm on it to like put it towards his pads. You can just smother it. But Loschmelis had like 75% of the net to shoot at. And he managed to pick the one spot where, where Olas was able to kind of corral it and make the save. Super unfortunate. You know, it's, it was great that we got, you know, Owen Murray's goal here, but I feel like, we, we could have got a couple more if we played our cards right. Because I feel like in the middle of the second period, we, we were getting some decent scoring opportunities. It started to open up quite a bit. And, you know, then I feel like after that, though, we kind of just started to lose the momentum once again, especially going into the third. Yeah, would have been a massive goal from Lushmelis. Like you said, he had so much open net and just wasn't yeah. able to find it. Um, the boys were buzzing pretty good for the couple minutes after this goal. As It seems a lot this season that they get one goal and then they – their their whole mindset to get changes. the momentum yeah yeah their energy changes it's just a whole totally different team after that first goal you take the the cover off but four minutes later less than four minutes later um merrimack is able to get a two-on-one situation alex jeffries um i think he's the best player on this merrimack team has the puck um he could pass it but he decides to shoot and he eats michael rabble pretty clean over the yeah. shoulder um this goal I want to talk about because I didn't like any of the optics around this one at all. Um, there, there was a loud ping as the goal hit the back of the net. It, it clearly hit the um, uh, the, back the back bar. bar. That, yeah, yeah, that white bar in the back. But uh, the sound it made, it could have easily been the crossbar. Even some Merrimack players on the ice didn't know if it fully went in or not because they went after the puck and put it back in again. But uh, as soon as it went over Michael Rabble's shoulder, he immediately froze. Um, yeah completely gave up on the play as just assuming it was in it, it was um so I, I guess no harm no foul but i really i don't like the goal i don't i don't think it should have been given up i thought it was a softy and i really hate the body language after this one and made it makes it 3-1 yeah i mean the body language was a bit concerning realistically but i think like i mean it's it's definitely concerning from the goalie, I mean, he must have clearly knew that he got beat, like just like seeing like the like the trajectory of the puck and knowing where the you know the corners of the net are. He must have known that it went in. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But 
I don't know. I mean, I feel like it's a little bit of a weird thing to nitpick about, but like, again, like it seemed like not even the Merrimack players fully knew if it was in or not. Like, mm -hmm. I think they took another shot after the whistle. And then I think even after that, they took another shot, which a yeah. little weird. I don't, I didn't really like that. You know I mean? Like we're not even like protecting our own net. Like there was no even like, you know, why are you shooting on our goalie after the whistle type thing? Like nobody was even getting put into a scrum there. I don't know. But it seemed like after this goal for me, that that was like the dagger essentially like we were only halfway into the second period but you could kind of just tell like with the body language of the team i i don't i didn't really think that there was a way that we were coming back in this you know what i mean like it seemed like the way that we kind of you know attempted to fight back was in my opinion quite feeble you know like mm -hmm. we we really it, it i don't want to say the players gave up right but i don't think that we were putting our best foot forward and playing to our fullest potential. I think it was a case of we went down two against them in a really, really tough arena. And we were already like, I think I said it before Merrimack plays a very suffocating type of defense. You know what I mean? Like they don't give you any space. Like that's like where we thrive is in space because we have more ice at the Mullen center. Lawler is a much smaller, you know, rink in comparison. They have the smaller, you know, sized ice. They, they take away, you know, the space a lot better. And, we just we didn't have an answer for them and it felt like the players were just kind of they they knew that you know what i mean in my opinion that you know obviously i'm not in their brains but that's just how it seemed as they were playing with the puck on the ice yeah there were a lot of hanging heads a lot of yeah. slamming sticks against the boards um this definitely did feel like the dagger in this game especially with how umass closed out the second period after um and they didn't come out with any will in the third either um just two minutes in we see a, a all-time defensive breakdown. I think Merrimack has four guys passing the pucks among themselves. Um, Morrow and Bollinger are, are in standing in front of Harabble, but it's four on two. They kind of look like lost puppies, and uh, Merrimack just goes tic-tac-toe, able to easily find the back of the net to make it 4-1. Yeah, and I mean, at, at this point, right, like big-time defensive breakdown, but again, fair play to Merrimack. Like, they found the open guy on every pass. Like, it was tic-tac-toe, and they – lack of a better term, they freaking embarrassed us. You know what I mean? Like, I, I made the joke to you before we started recording, but, like, I was rubbing my eyes after that goal. I thought I was looking at Michigan and not Merrimack. Like, same color scheme, same M, same everything. They they were, you know, I'm pretty sure I saw an almost identical goal scored by Michigan earlier on this season when we played against them. Like, just absolutely dismantled us. Nothing that Rabble could do, admittedly. Like, we, you know, we we had our gripes with, with Rabble with some bad goals. I don't think that was one of them. That was just purely on the defense. They were just absolutely lost there. So, you know, it's that right there. You know, that was realistically like it was almost ironic. You know what I mean? Because it was just the perfect kind of culmination of what we were doing poorly in that game and what Merrimack was doing well. So, you know, we we knew it was over basically at that point, but we were kind of just, you know, we were we were still there just because we had already paid for the season. We're not going to give up on the team mid game, but mm -hmm. we we knew it was basically over at this point. Yeah, and in the rest of this third period, the last 18 minutes, one of the more boring periods of hockey that I've watched yep. in my life. Um, not a lot of chances at all for either side for the whole rest of the game. Um, and that's it. UMass loses 4-1. to one. The, the one-goal outcome versus Merrimack streak is over. Um, and and I, I just really didn't like this effort out of the team. I didn't like the body language. I didn't love the, the effort. We didn't get a whole lot of great scoring chances either. Obviously, Lawler's a tough place to go and try to get a win. But um, after the win, the big win on Friday, 
Um, really hoping to get a couple at least hockey East points and um, they never really even had a shot at him on Saturday. Yeah. And, and that's kind of the, like, I think the only thing that we didn't talk about in that third period, I think we went genuinely maybe 15 minutes in that period without a shot on net. Mm-hmm. Like we, I, you know, let me look I literally have it pulled up right here. I'm trying to see how many shots on net we had in that period. Um, give me one sec. So we ended up having seven. I'm convinced that about five of those came in the last like two minutes of the period. Yeah. Like I, I think, you know, there was a couple of like net front scrums where we were just trying to at least put the puck on net just for the sake of it, just to try and force Olas to do something. But I think we genuinely through the beginning and the middle, you know, of that period, we, we barely got any zone time. We didn't even have any shots on net. We just, we had no offense to speak of. And again, I think part of that is credit to Merrimack. I think they have a very, you know, tough defensive system that they play, especially on their ice. Like they're, they're a tough team to play against in that place, but I don't think that's an excuse. You know what I mean? I think at the end of the day, we need to control what we can control and we need to impose our will onto other teams as much as humanly possible. We can't just throw our hands up and say, well, they played good defense. It doesn't matter. We got to play better than them. You know what I mean? And we, we didn't do that on Saturday. Yeah. And we have a really, in my opinion, confusing quote from Carvey after this game. Uh, we'll try to break it down as best we can. He said, I thought the game was pretty even. I thought chances were pretty even. We just couldn't put it in the back of the net, and we left two guys all alone in front of the net, and both times they scored. Opportunistic. I thought there were a lot of chances in the game, and I actually liked the way we played tonight better than we did last night. Um, doesn't I do not feel the same way. Um, I thought this was a really tough watch being a UMass fan. Um, I thought we were much more clinical with our chances on Friday. It was a lot more fun to watch, a lot cleaner of a game. I, I don't know if it was a matter of um, the smaller rice, just kind of feeling like we had no space out there. But I would say pretty definitively that we played a lot better on Friday. So I'm not really sure where Carvey's coming from this one. I don't know. Maybe you could help me see the light on this quote a little bit. Carvey had me until the last quote, until the last sentence of the quote. Like, I think he was right. We had a good amount of chances, and I feel like they did as well. You know, at least for the first period or, you know, period, period and a half, roughly. We yeah. had some pretty damn solid chances that, you know, Olas did his job and he stuffed us on a couple. And I'm sitting there holding my, you know, my head in my hands, just like, what the hell are we doing? Why couldn't we score that? But on the whole, you know what I mean? Like, we played, in my opinion, worse defensively. You know what I mean? Maybe if not just as bad defensively as the night before, but at least travel was giving us enough saves to keep us in it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the, the big difference was, I mean, Merrimack's goaltender was much better on Saturday, which in, you know, in the grand scheme of things kind of looks good on, on Carvey's quote, you know what I mean? Because that doesn't mean that we necessarily played horrendously bad. It's because Olas was just shutting us down and he was on the top of his game. But that third period, in my opinion, was inexcusable. You know what I mean? Like, we we are considered a third-period team, as we've talked about numerous times this season. We did not look like a third-period team in that game. Granted, you know, we were down by a, a fair margin, and I feel like if there is any team in Hockey East that knows how to protect a lead, it's Merrimack, in my opinion. They know how to play tight, gritty, defensive hockey. You know what I mean? They know how to shut teams down, force them to play into their dump and chase hands, and they can get the puck out. I I get it, but I 
if I look at that game as a whole, I don't think that we played better than Friday. You know, and I'm not just saying that purely because of goals and shots and all that fun stuff, but just that third period, I think solely, you know, puts it on on our team that we we clearly did not play as well as we could have on Saturday compared to Friday. But. Yeah, it certainly felt like that. I know the sentiment on UMass Twitter, not a single person was thinking this. Obviously, the outcome is tough, getting a loss instead of a regulation win. But um, I don't think a single person was at all pleased with the way that we played, not in, in any aspect of the game. So a um, bit of a weird quote from Carvey. I think we got to talk bigger picture because uh, before the UConn game, I think that we said after the Merrimack series is when we would decide if it's time to panic on this team or not i know you said that we needed uh, a good five or six points here out of this merrimack series we only get three so um i'm curious how you're feeling about the team right now we're at i think we're at 12 in the national rankings we actually went up a spot today today's monday uh, i think pairwise is at 14 right now which is what it was going into this series so uh really right on the bubble now um in danger of falling out of the national tournament landscape so um what do you what do you think bigger picture through this stretch of games that you said uh, seemed like the one of the some of the easier games on the schedule? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely not going to say that I'm not concerned. You know what I mean? There is definitely some concern here, and I, I I mentioned this last you know last weekend. Am I hitting the panic button? My my finger is literally touching it. Like it is mm -hmm. it is about to get pressed down. I I can say this with no uncertain terms. If we lose against Northeastern, I I'm freaking smacking the hell out of that panic button. And you know what I mean? Like there's, there's no way around that, but I'm really freaking close right now. But, and th the only reason why I feel like I'm feeling that way is because I'm starting to draw comparisons to last season. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it like it, that's the part that's scaring me is that we're doing almost the exact same thing as the previous season. You know, absolutely just rushing all, you know, preseason expectations, some big, big wins early on, carrying a lot of momentum, looking really, really solid into that December break. And then we hit that midseason tournament. Absolutely just drop the ball on the midseason tournament. You know what I mean? Like we did it last year with the the quick trip holiday face-off. The only reason why I remember that is because it was so freaking traumatic for me. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> That that was a terrible midseason tournament for us. And we have almost the exact same thing happening to us in, you know, in Lake Placid this year. And now the slide is continuing. You know, like the only thing that I'm looking at that's, you know, not the worst thing to me is that again, I still feel like we are massively outperforming what the preseason expectations were this season. Like last season, we had much higher expectations because we were just coming off of a tournament appearance. Now we're coming off of being like eighth or ninth in hockey East last season. And the only place we can go is up. Don't get me wrong. This is still a massive improvement over what I expected us to be this season. You know what I mean? Like I had almost no expectation. Like I had some expectations realistically, probably where we're at right now is where I expected us to be. And that was because we needed to hit on the, on the freshmen, you know, coming in and all the transfers they are the people that are leading the way right now. Like our freshmen are elite and that makes me feel great for the future. But seeing how the team is playing right now has me concerned for the present. You know what I mean? Like, I think, I think with more experience from our, you know, from our freshman guys, I think we're going to be filthy next season, but 
you know, for this current season, we need to figure it the hell out soon because if we don't figure out it, figure it out in these next two to three weeks, we're out of the pairwise, you know, contention for, you know, the frozen four or whatever. Like our, our postseason hopes are essentially down the drain if we end up screwing up these next couple of weeks. So I'm concerned for sure, but I think for the future we'll be fine. But this season right now is quite frankly, crummbling before our very eyes. If, if, if you know, I, I don't want to sound crazy when I say that, but I think that might not be the most unfair thing to say here. Yeah. I'm, I'm in full agreement. Um, Northeastern next week, uh, technically the worst team in hockey East record wise. Um, I know it's on the road. I know it's at Matthews, which has been a tough pace to play over the years. But um, if UMass doesn't win that game against Northeastern, it is full-time panic mode. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure what we do with that other than yell into our microphones for you guys to listen to. Yeah. Obviously, we can't really do anything else but that. But I'm I'm pretty stressed out right now, and I am going to be really stressed out if we don't win this Northeastern game. I think it is the most must-win of a game uh, so that we've had so far this season. Um, the pairwise implications of that. Plus, um, there's another game at Merrimack the following weekend. Um, then we get Maine, which Maine's a really good team that won't have a big effect. But um, then two against UConn after that. So um, this this stretch of games, these uh, one against Northeastern, one against Merrimack, and two against UConn, will be the decide. I will say that with absolute certainty, will be the deciding factor on if this team gets into the tournament um, because you still have a series against BC series against New Hampshire and a series against Maine um, yep. a one with Lowell mixed in there. That could be pretty bad. With, um, but I think this makes their break the next four games, uh, not including the main game. Um, yeah. I think make or break the outcome of this season on the national landscape. I don't think that's too much of a stretch to say. Yeah. And I, and I wouldn't be as concerned right now if, the Merrimack game on Saturday was a one goal game. And I know that sounds crazy, but mm-hmm. like, cause it, cause it kind of goes against what I said last episode, but like realistically, right. We knew this Merrimack series was going to be tough. We wanted to get two wins, but realistically they were probably going to be four, three wins. You know what I mean? Across yeah. both games. Like we knew it was going to be a tight series cause it always is. But like, just when you think about it, right. Like, you know, like, the only thing that I can think of right now, and this is going to sound like insane amounts of cope right now. Like, it sounds like I'm just grasping at straws trying to get UMass to look good in my head is we always seem to play up to our opponents and we play down to our, to our quote unquote lesser opponents. Right. Yeah. Is, that, is that fair to say? Yeah. So I think that's been a trend for years. Correct. So if, if we end up making the tournament, right, we're going to be playing up to our opponents basically the entire time. And as long as we make the tournament, I have every bit of confidence that we have a decent shot at making a good run because that's just how these teams tend to operate. You know what I mean? Over the past couple of years, they they will always match whatever level they're playing up against. So if we can go up against the top, the you know, some of the best teams in the country, I, I, I back ourselves. You know what I mean? It's always those weird, like lower ranked, like quote unquote trap games that kind of mess with me. And it kind of messes with the team. You know what I mean? And I don't know if that's like a preparation thing. I don't know if it's a mentality thing. We had this exact same conversation last season, I feel like at length, and we didn't have any answers. And the concerning part for me right now is that I don't think we have any answers right now either. You know what I mean? So it's just, we're seeing a lot of the same old song and dance and it's, 
I don't know. It's worrying. I, I, I don't know what needs to change, but something has to change. Definitely. Yeah. I, I don't know what it is either. I'm just like scrolling through our schedule. So many close games. You have the, yeah. the, the loss to Merrimack on Saturday is an outlier. Um, and then the next outlier after that's Alaska Anchorage, which bottom feeder team in the country. Um, mm-hmm. You're going to get a big win if you play them twice. Um, really close game against Harvard. They're one of the worst teams in the country this year. Yep. Um, literally not a non-close game until you get to that away game or that uh, that home game against Vermont. That's 62 yep. loss. Um, and then you have the the big loss to BU and the big loss to Michigan. But other than that, every single game is close. Um, this team only knows how to play close games, basically, unless they, they lose their way like they did on Saturday. So. Um, it's gonna we're, it's gonna be a sweat. I think this is the most important national tournament to make um, that we'll ever have, like the opportunity to make. If we're being honest with the Springfield Regional, um, that is such a big advantage to to making it to the Frozen Four. Um, hopefully, so um, a lot of pressure over these next few games for UMass. Certainly, must watch as always and must win for a few of these games. Yeah, and my final closing thought, because I know we've been harping on this for a while, but just, like, I don't want to make this sound like the most doom and gloom thing ever, because, like, if we look at, you know, the games early this season, 6-3 win over Michigan, you know what I mean? That's huge, and that was after a monumental third period. We looked great against ranked at the time Minnesota State, got a sweep over them. We ended up tying against BU. We should have won that game realistically. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we have had some, you know, the sweep against Providence. That was the highlight of the damn season. We were yep. smiling when that happened. We have had so many amazing wins already this season. But then we, if you flip the, you know, if you if you flip the script, we look at all these weird freaking losses that we've had, and we don't know what to do. It's like it, this team genuinely looks like a number one pairwise team sometimes and a number 40 pairwise team some, sometimes. And it mm-hmm. makes – no sense to me whatsoever like i again i still don't get it but yeah that's 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 the part that i'll leave it on don't don't remember just the bad things that have happened we've had some really freaking good moments too and we just need to string a couple of those together and we're going to be talking about how we are so back you know what i mean <laughs> like it, you I, we can hear it right now i'm going to be like let's go cam we're going to be coming up on four wins in a row like i can just feel it right now you can probably splice in this episode into one three weeks from now when it eventually happens like who knows so uh, yeah, yeah just just a really strange season so far yeah um we, we don't have many answers for you but um it's just how it is gotta gotta just hope for the best down the stretch here yep. what do you say we hop over to awards for the series let's get it all right so the first one that we like to give out ccc carvel's character and compete basically the player of the series um a little bit tough there wasn't uh, a ton of outliers from this uh, but I think re- using a lot of the eye test and a lot of the score sheet too, Idar Suniev, he recently won one for us. He's got another one. He had three points on Friday. He was all over the ice. Um, really great playmaking out of him. I, I think we expected the goals coming in, but um, Friday especially, a lot of great plays, setting guys up. Obviously, when you have three assists, that's going to be the case. But um, he's been all over the ice, and he's been an, an absolute joy to watch of late. Yeah, he, he's been very, very good over, you know, I mean, I feel like, again, we talked about him, I think, a couple of weeks ago, because, well, actually, no, it was almost a month ago at this point. That was the last time he got a CCC, and we were talking about just how much better he's looked over the course of the season, and I think it's even more apparent now, you know what I mean? Like, he, 
has added a lot more layers to his game. Like, I remember one of the main things that I heard about him when it came to, like, you know, scouting reports and stuff when he got drafted was that he wasn't a very good skater. Like, he wasn't a very efficient skater. I'm not an expert when it comes to skating mechanics. You know what I mean? You got you saw me when I was skating earlier. I can barely, I look like freaking Bambi out there. I don't know the first <laughs> thing about skate, you know, ice skating. But when I'm looking at at, at Suniev on the ice, he's one of the quickest guys out there. You know what I mean? I don't know if like maybe maybe his actual technique might be a bit weird and he's taking too many strides or whatever. I don't know what the hell people are saying about him, but when he's out there on the ice, he's flying around and he's moving. You know, he's he's making really good shots all the time. A lot of good playmaking opportunities for him. His passing has, I think, improved quite a bit so far. He's been making a lot of the simple plays. You know, I think two out of the three assists that he had were secondary assists. You know what I mean? It's not like he was getting that final pass just right, but he's at least facilitating the play very well, and he's not creating turnovers like how he used to do in the beginning of the season. He was a turnover machine to start the season, and he started to simplify his game a lot more. And I think his his line as a whole has improved a whole lot just, you know, from that benefit alone. It has, and I think his control of the puck, especially in the offensive zone, um, it seems like he has it on a string almost, yeah. uh, especially on Friday. So uh, really fun to watch, and uh, good job, Idar Suniev, his second Let's season, Suniev. I believe, of the season. Yep. All right, so uh, the next award we give out is the Good Try Award, um, somebody who we think can do better. We have higher expectations for uh, for the next time out there. A little bit tough. Um feel like there might have been a few guys deserving. We, we kind of debated for a while on this one, but we landed on Kenny Connors. Um, he did not have a great weekend as a whole. Um, in game one, I believe he was uh, – where is it? He was really bad in the faceoff dot, game one. Oh, six, yeah, yeah, Six yeah. for 18, 33%. Um, he was a minus two, uh, so just really, really not showing up there. Um, better in the faceoff dot in game two. Um, he was a minus one in this game, but a uh, really bad moment was that turnover. Um, really, really bad turnover. Still not sure what was going through his head on that one. Um, but yeah, just uh, th- this could have gone to a few people. We had to we had to pick one. Um, Connors just really didn't have uh, a weekend to write home about. Yeah, I mean it's it's honestly as simple as that. You know what I mean? Like he's he's one that I feel like we've we've had kind of heightened expectations of over the course of the season like yeah this is this is his first time getting a a good try award and i think quite a while if not maybe the first ever i i'm mm-hmm. trying to go back through the recap like i have a little you know spreadsheet basically and granted it's not the most up to date i think i'm missing like half of last seasons but um <laughs> still regardless i mean even if it's not you know only his first you know this is definitely not a recurring thing for him. You know what I mean? He always is at least at the bare minimum, like an all right, you know, player on the ice. You know what I mean? He never really tends to make many mistakes. You know, he might have like, you know, a whiffed one time or whatever, every now and then who, you know, who doesn't, you know what I mean? But like, this was the first time we're sitting there talking about him. We're like, like that, that was not a great play from Connors there, you know? And again, it happens rarely, but for this weekend, it seemed like just, everything which is not in his favor you know what i mean for lack of a better term so it is what it is you know i'm i'm hoping that connor's play definitely picks up over the course of the second half of the season because he can do great things on that second line you know what i mean he has solid line mates around him that are hopefully gonna enable him to make more plays i'm hoping for for colo hard to really start to step it up and 
you know, play make for him a lot more. And I'm hoping that Taylor McCarr can stay out of the box a bit more to help Connor score, you know, score a little bit more often. So, you know, we'll see how that goes. But uh, yeah, definitely not the best of weekends for Connors. Not a terrible one, but not the best. Yeah, and he's he's looked really good the last couple of weeks before that. So yeah, um, that's kind of what we're basing that off of as well. So definitely looking for a little bit better uh, come next game for him. For sure. All right, what do you uh, what do you want to give out for your custom award? All right, so I'm gonna go with the role reversal re- or award today. So for a little bit of context, we know Ryan Lautenbach, right? He is a huge hustle guy. We talk about it almost every episode. That's just the name of his game. Well, that bit of hustle, I think, rubbed off a little bit on Cam O'Neill. Cam O'Neill this time was the hustle guy. I don't even know why he was on the same line as as Lautenbach on this play. I'll be honest with you. I don't remember. It must have been a weird line change or something like that. But Cam O'Neill's out there forechecking his pants off. I what, Dare I say, looked like he was running around with his head cut off, like a chicken with his head cut off as I tend to say with Ryan Lautenbach, but takes the puck away from a defenseman behind the net, passes it out front to Lautenbach for probably one of the easier goals that he'll score. And, you know, that was uh, basically the the textbook Lautenbach play where he does it for other people. So to be on the opposite end of that and have a little bit of role reversal going on was definitely a, a great sight to see. Really happy for Cam O'Neill there. So that's why I'm giving Cam O'Neill the role reversal award for his overall hustle. I like that, and he's uh he's been pretty solid the last couple of games. Yeah, um, been a pretty big presence on the on the ice. Um, really making that fourth line look good. The fourth line's been looking good as a whole. Yeah. So, um, it's been a real positive for this team. So, yeah, good award there, and good to see uh Lawton back get a nice little tip in for once. He he earned that one for sure. All right, for for my custom award, I'm giving out the Danger Zone Award. Um, Danger, uh in both zones for this player. Um, I'm talking about specifically Friday night. Um, and this award's going to Ryan Ufko. Um, he was dangerous in the offensive zone. Um, he had a piss missile, certified piss missile, as we'd like to say. Uh, missiles, obviously dangerous. And in the defensive end of the zone, end of the um, ice, dangerous as well. Um, he had a scorpion block uh, into the into the back netting there. So, uh missiles are dangerous piss missiles are dangerous scorpions are dangerous um and getting it done in both zones so uh good job from Ufko. i know we talked about him earlier in this episode but i uh, like to see him at least in game one performing on both ends of the ice he was pretty integral in that win on friday yeah definitely i mean on the whole probably didn't have like the best best weekend but he definitely had some key moments like you just described you know what i mean like realistically if it wasn't for that block we could be talking about another tie game or an OT, you know, crazy blunder like that was monumental. And then, you know, he basically got the game winning goal. You know what I mean? So he was captain clutch in that, in that first game, you know, he's, he's taken it away from, from Bollinger a little bit. I know that's Bollinger's nickname, at least it used to be, I don't know what his current nickname is. We'll have to ask him next time we see him, but Ufko was definitely, you know, he, he had that clutch gene in him. And like you said, he was for sure dangerous on both ends of the ice. So, Great, great to see that out of Ofco. He's uh he's been big time captain material this season. I think he definitely earned that seat. Yeah, I think so too. And and happy to see it. Um didn't see as much of it on Saturday, but uh yeah. generally throughout this year we've seen uh those big strides from him and it's been fun to watch. Definitely. All right. What do you say we uh we talk about 
next week a little bit. One game on the schedule. Yeah, it's that's kind of the, the the big thing to talk about now. So let's get into it. Yeah, so we brush on it a little bit. UMass, uh, one game next weekend against Northeastern at Matthews Arena. Um, kind of tough to make big moves when you're uh, when you only got one game on the weekend. But um, UMass, they can't really move up that much, but they have a lot to lose here this weekend. Um, the game Saturday at four. I think I think Northeastern moved the game time a month or so ago. Mm -hmm. uh, so make sure you guys remember that four o'clock if you're coming to the game. Uh, but Northeastern comes in of incredibly disappointing season so far. Seven, eleven, and two overall. They're two and ten in the conference, which is just unheard of from them in in my time following hockey East. Uh, I can't remember them ever being this bad. And if you look down their schedule, one of the weirdest schedule and outcomes that i've ever seen um they've been getting the job done somewhat against the bad teams they have wins against stonehill and bentley um they have some really interesting outcomes they won in a shootout um to quinnipiac who at one point was number one in the pairwise um they took providence to ot providence just beat number one this week so they're a really good team um they they beat bc on the road five to three um, which was an insane win. Um, they beat Duluth uh, in overtime. Uh, Duluth isn't the team that they uh, once were, but still um, to go out to the quick trip holiday face-off actually and mm. do that um, is pretty funny. Um, they tied Quinnipiac again. Uh, Quinnipiac's a really good team this year, so that's a great outcome for them. They took BU to OT. BU's been all over the top of that pairwise. Um, so yeah, they have some really good outcomes. And then a lot of really bad outcomes. I'm, I'm looking at their schedule. It's almost like hard to see how this adds up to the record that they have. They yeah. just had an, a really bad losing streak in the first half of the season, but they seem to be picking it up um, and they have the ability to beat anybody. Um, if they, uh, if they put their mind to it, it looks like pr really interesting team this year. Yeah. I mean, dare I say shades of UMass, like it looks <laughs> like they can beat anybody on any given night, but they can also lose against anybody on any given night. And like, I get that that's the beauty of college hockey. You know what I mean? I've definitely said that before, but like, I don't know. I'm a little nervous now. You know what I mean? Because they, it seems like they can get it done against some of the top guys. And you know, they had a very, very rough start to the season. It looked like they couldn't score a goal to save their lives to start the season off losing four, one, Four one two one two one five two and four two like they they averaged I think what like one point four goals a game in that in, in that stretch that's horrendously bad but they've they've definitely figured out their scoring ways quite a bit you know at least in you know recently besides besides the three nothing loss to Wisconsin in their last six games they've scored at least three goals in every single game besides getting shut out that one time so. They've they found their scoring, you know, their scoring skates, scoring, you know, whatever, scoring sticks, whatever the hell you want to call them. They've they've found it. They're looking somewhat decent, you know, at least in net. The, he doesn't have the craziest stats of all time. I think it's uh the hell's his name? Cameron Whitehead, I want to say. I'm pulling it up right now. Yeah. Um, I was right. Okay, Cameron Whitehead. Yeah, I think he's a freshman, uh, draft pick to Vegas. He's looked pretty solid so far. So I feel like Northeastern and I, you know, and, and UMass are on kind of similar trajectories right now in their quote unquote rebuild. You know, they have some really, really good freshman and sophomore players. They have a freshman goalie with some pretty solid draft pedigree that's starting to try and lead them into the right direction. And 
as of right now, I mean, we have a much better record than them, but it looks like they're kind of the hotter team right now. So you never know what's going to happen, especially against Northeastern at, you know, at Matthews. I've been to quite a few games at Matthews and I feel like our luck there hasn't been amazing. Mm-mm. So I, I don't know. The more that I'm kind of talking this out out loud, the more nervous I'm feeling. I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts are, Cam. Yeah. If you look at the team stats, I'm going through them right now. You would not think that this team has the record that they do, especially yeah. in hockey East. Um, they are over three goals a game. They, uh, they don't take a lot of penalties at all. Their their power play is really good, twenty three percent. Their faceoffs really good, fifty four point one percent. This doesn't look like a team that has the record that they do. I'm baffled that they're two and ten in hockey East. Uh, they they have some goal scorers. They have two guys that are in double digits in goals right now. Um, their goaltending is decent. I'm not going to say it's amazing. Um, their goalie Cameron Whitehead with the 907 save percentage, uh, less than three goals allowed per game. So um, these stats aren't adding up for me. I'm I'm with you. I think I'm a little bit nervous now, the more that I look into this. In this, but in the same vein, though, I feel like UMass just needs to cancel it all out. Just cancel all the noise around them and just go for it. You know what I mean? Yep. We were we were saying this exact same thing. When we were going up against Michigan. You know what I mean? And then we ended up having a a huge win against them. You know, we we can talk about this for most of the really big wins that we've had this season. You know what I mean? Things might not look amazing on paper, but UMass needs to find a way. We found ways previously this season. We've strayed away from that a little bit recently, but something needs to start clicking once again. I don't know if there needs to be some sort of killer instinct that we get to re-add. I don't know if we have to reshift the lines, because that was something that we really didn't talk about that much realistically in, in game two. But the lines got shifted around quite a bit in that game. I'm pretty sure we saw like Vanderboys, like lead, you know, centering the third line at one point. I think Loschmelis moved up. I think to the second line at one point. I think Cam O'Neill was moving up to like the first line at some points. That might have just been like you know because Taylor got injured. But there was a lot of movement. You know, like we were basically looking at four brand new lines in the third period of that of that you know Saturday game. Maybe that's why we didn't play as well and we didn't come back because they were playing with unfamiliar teammates. I have no idea, but something is definitely going to have to change. Like if, 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 if on Friday, right. Uh, and we're looking at the, you know, we're looking at the lines for that Friday game and they look identical there. There's an issue. You know what I mean? Like I'm hoping it's bare... on Saturday, just to be clear. That's what I meant. Yeah. Yep. Sorry. I'm just, I'm, I'm frazzled right now. It's how yep. passionate I'm feeling right now about this stuff, but yeah, if if the only change that I see is Minasari being slotted back in, I'm going to be a little I'll be a bit concerned, I feel like. You know, whether it's, you know, shift if if I'm Parvi, I'm I'm moving stuff around between the top two lines. I don't think the top two lines have been have been getting it done. I've been much more impressed in my opinion with 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 the third and the fourth line. Mm-hmm. I've been very impressed with Vanderboys, uh Van Tassel and Cam O'Neill, and I've been obviously super impressed with that god tier freshman line of Suniev, Musa, and, and Loschmelis. I can't say the same about the top two lines that we've been rolling. I feel like those are the guys that should be leading us in points right now, and they're not. You know what I mean? Like I I don't know if we want to go that far into it, but I like I've been very disappointed with the second line this season. Like mm-hmm. I picked Cole O'Hara to be, you know, the most improved player. Not even close. You know what I mean? Like 
Taylor McCarr, I was expecting an absolutely breakout season out of him. You know, I expected it last season. He was our top goal scorer last season, but he didn't really do much else. This season, he has, what, two goals? And, you know, I talked about it last week where I feel like he he's playing better than his stats he would show, but his penalty minutes have been freaking insane. You know what I mean? He's cost us so many goals with stupid penalties that he can't seem to, you know, keep his head on straight for. And the top line has normally been looking pretty freaking solid because, you know, Mercury's been, you know, nice for the most part, but Cam, you know, Michael Cameron hasn't really been getting the job done all that much recently. I feel like you got to put him on the second line and switch some things up, in my opinion. But yeah, I, I would not be surprised to see um, a big shakeup. I also wouldn't be surprised to not see a big shakeup, um, especially with Harvey's thoughts after the second game. Um, we'll, we'll have to see. I personally would definitely shake things up. I, I think I agree with you there. The top two lines. Um, outside of Mercury and Lautenbach, I would say, have been pretty disappointing, um, at least in terms of stat sheet production. Um, yeah. Clearly clearly the freshman line is is dominating there. I'm very concerned to see where the team would be without those freshmen right now. Yep. Um, very glad and thankful that we have them. But, yeah, um, back, to, back to this game. Um, we'll see if we see a shakeup. I wouldn't expect it, but I would expect to see Ninasari back, I think. I would I hope. Think. I think we heard that he's coming back next week or is on track to be coming back next week. So nothing certain, obviously, but that would be a great addition, um, especially to a team that can score pretty decently like Northeastern. Um, And I I checked the pairwise. It wouldn't be as dire um, as we expected if they did somehow lose. Uh, Northeastern, uh, outside of their record, they're number 23 in the pairwise. So um, better than Merrimack, better than UConn, so uh, better than Vermont too. So, even though they're near the bottom of hockey East, it wouldn't be that bad of an outcome, but I, I still stand firm that it's a must win on Saturday afternoon. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, this might sound insane. I could care less about the pairwise right now when it comes to wanting a win on yep. Saturday, I want momentum. You know yeah. what I mean? I want to break this funk that we've been in, you know, like we haven't had a dominating win since Alaska Anchorage. And I wish, you know, I would have hoped that that was a dominating win. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not expecting every game to be like that, but we need to be playing better than we are right now. If there was any time for there to be a slump, yeah, I guess it would be good for for us to have a slump against kind of like the, I don't want to say the bottom dwellers of hockey East, but, you know, I'd rather be playing poorly against, you know, these teams rather than, you know, Maine. You know, I'd rather take points off of Maine. I'd rather take points off of BC or BU. You know what I mean? If we can play at our best in those games and win those games, I think that'll look a lot better going forward, especially if we do end up making the tournament. If we have all that momentum going forward, that's that's where we want to be playing our best, and it needs to start now. You know what I mean? We can't just figure out how to play all of a sudden with two weeks left in the season and then wonder, why are we in the postseason? You know what I mean? We gotta We got to start it up soon. Yep, and definitely got to get it going if you want to avoid um, playing that first day of the Hockey East playoffs. Yeah. Um, you really want to get that bye, get that five seed. So um, becoming in danger of falling out of that spot right now. So what do, what do you say we head over to the Hockey East? Um, well, to yeah, let's, let's check it out. So uh, a really tidy out-of-town scoreboard this week. Um, it hasn't been tidy the last few weeks with all the out-of-conference games, but nice and clean here. Um, Northeastern played Vermont. Uh, both games at Matthews Arena. Uh, Vermont won the first one five to four. Northeastern won the second one three to one. Um, so a split there. 
Maine played UConn, both games in Connecticut in Hartford. Uh, Maine won the first one five to three. UConn won the second one two to nothing. A, a big win for them. Pretty yep. bad loss for Maine, the way their season's been going. Um, Providence and BC played a home and home. Uh, BC beat Providence pretty bad on Friday, seven one in Newton. Uh, the second game, really big win for Providence, four to three at home. They beat the number one team in the country, so uh, massive for them. And then BU played New Hampshire just for one game at Aganis. A nice clean three nothing victory for BU. So um, hockey, hockey East play finally back. No, no more of that silly at a conference stuff. Um, and some, a, a couple unexpected outcomes, but pretty much um, what you'd expect in terms of outcomes here. I think the thing that's really frustrating to me is seeing how almost basically every other series ended up in a split, and so did ours. I feel like if we got both wins, that means we would have really gained some ground. Yeah. I feel like in the hockey standing. So basically, you know, if you really want to think about it, this weekend was a wash. You know what I mean? Like nobody really moved at all because basically everybody split. But I don't know. I feel like this would be considered a pretty big missed opportunity for UMass to kind of move up the standing. So I'm a, I'm a bit disappointed in that. Yeah, I would say I am as well. Um, definitely a chance, especially UMass right now sits at sixth place in the hockey East standings. We talked about five being that place that you really want to get to. Yeah. Um, the teams ahead of them right now, BU, BC, Maine, Providence, UConn. Um, UConn jumps out as the kind of outlier there, the team that we really need to pull ahead um as we go through the season and they'll still have their chances they have two yeah. more games against the, each other um looking at the standings now uh bu is the leader with 28 points umass uh same amount of games played at 16 points uh so i guess anything's possible but it seems like um winning the conference regular season is kind of already out of the picture for umass i know there's they're just about halfway through conference play so anything yeah. is possible but um, kind of seems out of reach at this point. So I think just just hoping for that that buy um, yeah. is is really what you're shooting for at this point. Yeah, and I mean, the thing that kind of is, like, really super frustrating is, like, yeah, we weren't really expecting them, like, to win the regular season per se, but, like, it was possible. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, especially at one point, like, first like, half. Yeah, we, we definitely had all the momentum going, and again, wasn't expecting like i guess i should probably i should go back at some point and relook at like my preseason rankings where i put everybody but i think i had umass i think at around like fourth or fifth so like i'm not really shocked as to where we're at you know what i mean like i i think for that prediction to be correct we needed some big time contributions from the freshmen which we have gotten and then some you know what i mean i feel like if anything kind of similar to last season the upperclassmen are I don't want to say are disappointing, but I feel like they're not pulling as much weight as they should be. I feel like the freshmen are really the ones that are pulling their weight and then some, which is never a bad thing per se, but I would like to see a bit more of the the older guys on the team really step up and start to take the reins, you know, with their experience as they should be. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely a fair thing to say. And I I'd specifically say the the upperclassmen forwards, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ufko, That's the key. Yeah, Ufko, Morrow have been great this season. Well, they've been huge. Uh, yeah, we haven't seen a ton out of Aaron Bollinger this season. Um, he's been dealing with a lot of injuries and stuff, so he kind of gets a little bit of a pass there. Ninasari has been great in the time that he's been able to play. So, yeah, um, definitely need the the upperclassmen forwards to step up if we want to make a nice run here in hockey East play. 
Yeah, for sure. All right. I think that's everything we have hockey-wise. We did do our uh, – if you're tuned in on Twitter uh, with all the Calzone drama, we did our, our Calzone classic with Quinn, UMass Reindeer, uh, who could eat the most of three Calzones. Uh, Evan did come out on top. He had two and a third Calzones. Yeah. The, full, the full live stream video is up on YouTube if you want to go check that out. But uh, any uh, any victory speech you want to you wanna say about the Calzones situation here? For lack of a better for better term, no, not at all. Um, I'm, I'm I'm happy. You know, obviously it feels good. I wasn't feeling particularly confident going into it. I think if you rewatch the live stream, I said that there was almost no chance in hell that I was going to get two and a quarter. I ended up getting two and a third. Um, I think I remarked to you, not even in like a weird like cocky way, but I was like, I don't even feel hungry going into this, <laughs> like because I genuinely didn't at the time. I kind of just mind over mattered it and just kind of tossed it all back, and it worked. You know, like. Definitely happy. I don't think it's something that I want to do again, particularly soon. I didn't <laughs> feel great after it. Um, don't get me wrong. I felt a lot better um, than I had expected to feel. Like, I didn't feel, like, extremely groggy. This might sound like I'm being, you know, a bit braggadocious, but I think if I really needed to, I probably could have finished three. The only reason why I didn't was because... Again, no offense to you to you or Quinn, but, like, it wasn't really that close. Like, if I had to go bite for bite with somebody, I probably could have kept going, but I figured what was the point? You know what I mean? Like, why would yeah. I make myself sick when I don't need to? So, I don't know. I Like, would I like to do it again? Sure, at some point. Anytime soon, not a snowball's chance in hell. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm not doing that again anytime soon. But uh -huh. it, it, was, it was a fun little thing, and I think it'll be a good – a good cap off to all the calzone stuff that's been going on. I think we can move past it a little bit. Yeah, I've been uh he had a he had a real big lead. He had two and a third. Uh I, I came in second with one and a half, so wasn't even threatening there. But uh it's nice nice for high character to get the the gold and the silver, I guess. Big dub. Yeah, no, so, and I mean uh, you guys definitely, you know what I mean? Like it don't get me wrong, like it was it was still fairly close. Like I was still like a little nervous, you know what I mean? Like because yeah. it looked like you guys were making some decent time. And obviously we knew what reindeer was capable of. Like he had two and a quarter the weekend before. It is what it is, <laughs> you know. It a, was, that's such a stupid statement. What? <laughs> <laughs> just think he had two and a quarter of the week before <laughs> i mean yeah that that was that was what he had it's so, factual I mean, it's it's factual yeah no nah, it, it is what it is but yeah definitely happy to to bring home the title um i haven't done anything like that in a while food wise <laughs> so it felt a little weird i was going back into like my old eating habits a little bit um but hey got the job done it's, it's all accounts had to keep it high character so it was fun yeah, it was. Go uh, go to our YouTube channel at high character underscore if you want to go check out the live stream from that. That was a, a fun time. The chat was pretty lively, so um, good times there after the win on Friday night. I think that's all we have. UMass must win Friday. We need a road win. We will be there 4 o'clock on Saturday. Remember, it's a weird start time, 4 o'clock Saturday, Matthews Arena. We want to see as many of you guys there as we can. It could be a pretty hostile place, so um, need all, all of the support that the team can get in this must-win situation. Thank you guys for listening, and go UMass. Go UMass. Take care, everybody. Can we figure it out this Saturday? Please, God, I beg. <laughs>